Welcome to the Valley Sports Plug 2023 MLB Midseason Review. I am your host, Chris Patrick, and joining me today, as always, is my co-host, Michael Benjamin. What's going on, man? What's going on, Chris? Feeling good. Ready to dive into some baseball today. We got a couple of special guests joining us once again. Some might be trickling in and out, so I'm ready, man. Let's get to it. Plenty to talk about. So yes, let's waste no time and get right into it. We did our last MLB live stream, which was a season preview back in March, the day before the season started. We're now just after the All-Star break and the season will resume tomorrow, Friday, July 14th. And joining us, as he did last time, is our man Raymond. What's going on, bro? What's up, dudes? You know, just trying to stay cool out here in this hot Arizona heat. Man, you're telling me. It's been a little bit cloudy the past couple of days, but I feel like it's provided us no shelter from the heat. None at all. It's brutal. It's just teasing us. That's it. That's it, man. That's it. But we'll have, uh, like Mike said, a few, uh, at least one more guest joining us this evening, a familiar face, but I don't want to, I don't want to spoil his introduction. So the three of us will just hop right into it. And this first topic, I want to talk about just broadly where we're standing as the league is now about halfway through. Uh, It looks like there's about 70 plus games left for, for all these teams. Everyone's kind of a little bit staggered as far as standings and things like that go. But while it's just the three of us, I think we should start off in the NL West. As some of you may know, Raymond is our resident Dodger fan and insight into that organization. And Mike and I, of course, being the the Diamondbacks fans here representing Valley Sports Plug. Uh, Right now, the Dodgers are technically first place in the NL West and just barely squeaked by the Arizona Diamondbacks who aren't aren't any games back, so it's kind of weird, but it's like the win percentage is the way it kind of works out. The Dimebacks have played two more games, so they have 52 wins and 39 losses, while the Dodgers have 51 wins and 38 losses. Uh, it's funny, before we launched the stream, I was mentioning back on that preview stream we did, we were all sitting here uh, guessing that the Padres were going to run away with the division, and right now they're sitting in fourth place at 43 and 47 on the season, and the Giants are kind of surprising yet again uh, with a record of 49 and 41. Uh, But Mike, I'll pass it over to you first. Uh, What are you liking or seeing so far from the Diamondbacks and the NL West as a whole? I mean, first and foremost, the biggest thing is just the surprise with this young team and where they stand so far. I mean, we were hoping that they were going to be able to take those next steps and push for maybe a wild card spot. But to find yourself technically tied for first place at the all-star break i mean i wouldn't have dreamt it up to be honest with you i thought that maybe we're another season or two away from really you know pushing it to the limit but you have to contribute it to these young guys and their stellar bats you know they call them the rally backs for for a damn reason and unfortunately we have been having the struggles with our starting rotation and our bullpen which i'm sure we're going to get into a little bit more but you know, I might have a surprise pick when we get towards our uh, predictions going down towards the end of this season. And I don't know if you're going to be the biggest fan of it, Chris, but, you know, very happy and very excited with what the D-backs have done the first half of the season. 
Yeah, man, I, I share that same feeling. I mean, we were sitting here with the VSP Tallman last time posing the question of will the Diamondbacks at least be 500 on the season and will it be over or under, I think we we picked 71 wins or something like that. And boy, oh boy, have they blown our expectations out of the water, which is absolutely spectacular. So at this point, I'll take it. I, I liked our time we spent in first place, but to no surprise, I think by anyone, the Dodgers have taken that throne once again. Raymond, they did have a bit of a rocky start, the Dodgers did, to the season, but it seems like they're finding their footing. They're really good at home. Right now, 29 wins, only 16 losses at home, and then 50-50, 22 wins, 22 losses on the road. Uh, how are you liking uh, what the Dodgers have done as of late? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, our our team has been held together by duct tape and WD-40. I think we're literally like a... I think we're only like a day or two behind. I think like the Yankees for most days spent on the injured list in the major leagues. Um, our entire starting rotation. I mean, we've had Kershaw on the IL. We've had Julio on the IL. Obviously, Bueller, you know, with the Tommy John, he's been out for most of the season. Um, Dustin May, he's done for the year again, again. So, yeah, I mean, the team has been riddled with injuries. And thankfully, our offense has really stepped up big. Um, that's been a huge part of it. Um but yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say that I'm overly confident. Um, this was in theory, quote unquote, supposed to be kind of like a rebuild year, kind of like a get over the hump, you know, kind of reset the luxury tax a little bit and kind of compete again next year. So to technically be in the division lead um, come the all-star break, you know, I'll take it. I'm happy for it. But yeah, I don't know. I think this is the kind of team that, you know, I don't necessarily think a trade or two really puts us over the hump and makes us a World Series contender, but I'm excited to see, you know, as guys start coming back into the rotation, um, you know, we get some bullpen guys back in, maybe we make, we make a move or two, you know, I'd be excited to see. Uh, again, kudos to Arizona. I think they've had a stellar season. Um, like you mentioned earlier, we all thought San Diego would run away with it. You know, on paper, they look like the better team, but yeah, I mean, this is this to me is very reminiscent of a few years ago when um, San Francisco and uh, L.A. kind of played until that final 163rd game of the season for the division. And, yeah, I don't know. I feel like uh, L.A. and uh, Arizona are kind of in that same boat. You know, what does the pitching look like? You know, is, are they a move away? Things like that. So, yeah, no, I'm excited. So we'll see how the rest of the season goes. Definitely still a lot of baseball to be played. And I, I like what you said there. It's because the Dodgers have dealt with a lot of injuries. You highlighted that stat about most days on the IL. And it's kind of plagued a lot of teams in the league. Fortunately for the Diamondbacks, most of our core players have avoided any serious injury. There was that big scare with Corbin Carroll the other night. Um, but yeah, super impressive what the Diamondbacks are doing. Just to bring it back home real quick. They did have a couple impressive runs or stats I guess you could say to start the season where it wasn't until just earlier this month here in July where they weren't shut out and they um what was it they weren't shut out and they didn't lose a series until just a couple weeks ago so that type of consistency is something I don't think we expected from this young team and it's funny because on the other the flip side of that with the Dodgers they have a lot of veteran guys on that on that team and guys that know how to just play the long game and know it's a long road to get to where you need to go. So if you take, if you have a, 
a couple stretches where you're losing games, they they are able to. I've seen that they're able to stay focused, stay the course, and they're kind of starting to reap the rewards of that. Where a younger team might might start to beat up on themselves a little bit. But joining us now is our man Ian. He's sorry for being late, and that's okay. Last time we did a stream, Ian, back in March, your power was out. How is your power doing today in July? Um. Yeah, it looks like it's on. I think we're good. Excellent, excellent. And how are you doing yourself? Hot. It's one fifteen, yes. man. Why do we live here? Um, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm 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 chilling. Uh, just trying to to catch up on on conversation here. We're just talking about the surprise season in the D backs, I guess. Yeah, more or less. We're, we're starting off kind of high level with just where the league stands right now. We, we started in the NL West in anticipation that you'd be joining us soon. And you did. You you yeah. lived up to our expectations. Um, unlike the Diamondbacks, who are exceeding our expectations. Uh, so while we're here and we're talking about the Diamondbacks, I mean, Ian, you've kind of adopted them as your, your second team, if you will, or, you know, rooting for the home team, whatever you want to call it. From what you've been able to watch of the Diamondbacks and even go into a game, I think you were able to make it out to one with us. Uh, what do you like so far from the Diamondbacks? Um, it's it's got to be the, I, I guess, offensive system would be the way that I phrase it. Kind of how they 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 run the bases a lot more. Um, they're you know they're not a team that's hitting for power, but they're they're stealing their way into scoring position and the, and then capitalizing on those opportunities where they have people in scoring position. I was looking at the numbers and I was in an argument with a friend of mine a couple days ago and they jumped from 18th in RBIs last season to eighth. So that huge jump, man, like that's, it, it's, it's awesome. I can't really speak on the pitching because, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've already done it, but that's really the missing piece. Honestly, is once that's there, I mean, I mean, what is there to really worry about? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, Mike, we've been talking about that so much on our Diamondbacks recaps pretty much every week, it seems like, where it's like, man, the bats are doing great, but can we get some help from the pitching staff? Because outside of Zach Gallen and Merrill Kelly, it's been just a rough go at it for some of these guys. Now, Tommy Henry and Ryan Nelson are kind of starting to come into their own, but we really need a guy in the fifth spot in that rotation. We tried to bring up Brandon Fott a couple times, and he just got absolutely shelled, looked uncomfortable, and just not ready for the majors. Uh, but Mike, do you want to, do you want to speak on that? Like what Ian's saying, need, just needing pitching help and, and the Diamondbacks? Yeah. First and foremost, you know, I'll probably echo what you were talking about on our last recap, Chris. I don't know if it's time to bring Brandon fought back uh, this season, to be honest with you. I mean, we've given him opportunities and he hasn't stepped up to the plate, unfortunately, but you know, guys, like you said, Ryan Nelson and Tommy Henry, their past three starts have really been solid, but then they're not getting that back end help from the bullpen. I mean, Miguel Castro has been just inconsistent, and we bring up the 102-mile-per-hour guy who struggled with command. What's his name, Chris? you got to remind me. Ooh, who, oh, it was uh, the guy Brandon? we just brought up, Martinez, I think. Martinez? Brandon Martinez, something like that. So it's it's like a brand new shiny toy that you see how fast he can throw, but his command just isn't there just yet. So it's just tough when we were, you know, we're still looking for those guys, the three to five guys. I think Tommy Henry has started to solidify himself a little bit more, uh, some better outings over the past month as well. 
But, you know, when we're getting into the eighth inning with the two-run lead and we go into the ninth and they give it up consistently, it seems like, then it becomes more of the bullpen situation. But it's going to be interesting to see which directions they go. They definitely have to tackle this during the trade deadline. But we're going to have to see where Merrill Kelly is at when he comes back from his blood clot as well, uh, which hopefully should be within the next couple of weeks. But I think we're at the time frame, especially with the Dodgers now catching us after being in first place for a month. There's no time to delay with making the moves to solidify these problems. So, you know, August 1st, we're about, what, two weeks away, man. It, it, hopefully they make some moves before, like, a couple of days beforehand, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I want to see them be aggressive and be the first team, one of the first teams making calls. I'm sure there's already some talks being had because there are some names out there that I think we should have our eye on, and we'll get more into that a little bit later on. Um, but while we're just looking at the league as a whole, and we were asking Raymond about the Dodgers a bit because he's our resident Dodgers expert. But Ian, you're our resident Yankees expert, and they are in a tough division there in the AL East. You got Tampa Bay with 58 wins, 35 losses. How many How many wins did they have in a row to start the season? Like 15, 16, something like that? Yep. Crazy. Yep. So they came out hot. I think they've been tapering off a little bit, so they might be within striking distance. But Yankees, not a horrible record, 49 and 42. That would have them being uh, division leaders in some in the AL Central. But what are, what are you thinking about the Yankees' chances? I know we also talked about with like the Dodgers. They're dealing with a lot of injury trouble. And I think Raymond mentioned that the Yankees are right on pace for having a similar amount. Uh, you know, uh, Stanton took a good amount of time away, and now Judge is out with a, a broken toe or something like that. Yep. He has a broken toe. Um, there's talks of surgery with that broken toe because apparently there's some ligament damage there, too. Um, I, even though the Yankees are above 500, they would be in first if they were in the AL Central. I'm not very high on them right now. Um, they, without Judge, are batting something like 210 as a team. Um, They're on their third hitting coach in the past two years. So it seems like the front office might be the issue and they're kind of scapegoating with their hitting coaches because when you have names like John Carlos Stanton and Anthony Rizzo and these guys that have won MVPs, Silver Sluggers, breaking 100-year-old World Series curses, you really would think they'd be hitting better and they're just not doing it. So there seems to be something fundamentally wrong with that team and you know, they're getting saved by having a good pitching rotation and, you know, Rodon coming back and, and, and people like that. So uh, it's very top heavy right now. And the, the guy that makes it top heavy is currently out and, and they're just, there needs to be some kind of shake up before I, before I start to get optimistic, to be honest. That's fair, but I mean, you got you guys have the next uh, Shohei Otani, right? In Isaiah, kind of. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah, he's uh first two way player since Otani. It's it's hilarious looking at him because I think he has an ERA of like three now because he pitched like two innings, and uh, the same you, you see the same kind of stats that are like eye popping because you can compare him to Ruth, you know, with Otani. But it's things like, oh, he's the first hitter or he's the first player to hit a home run and, and strike out the side since Babe Ruth on the Yankees. And the, it's, so, <laughs> it's, it's so cherry picked, you know, it's like obviously oh, yeah. he's not as good as 
Otani or Ruth, but it's just so funny to see these these things come out. Yeah, man, that that's funny. And, and those cherry pick stats are great. I love that. Those I don't know if they're necessarily called advanced stats, but like Stat Muse, I feel like tends to bring a lot of those stats to the forefront of like this guy hasn't done this very obscure combination of stats since 950 or whatever. Uh, you gotta love it, but. Yeah, uh, I wanna I wanna pass it over to you, Raymond, and kind of start diving into what our predictions are for the second half of the season. Again, going back to what we were talking about uh, on our season preview, we kind of all agreed again that it would be in the NL West a two-team race between the Padres and Dodgers, and now it seems like it might be a two or three-team race between the Dodgers, Diamondbacks, and Giants um, for the NL West and just for the league broadly. Like, what are your expectations? what do you think you're going to see here in the next half of the season? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think the NL West is going to be, it's going to look very similar towards the end of the season. I feel like the highs and the lows that the National League West have had, I mean, I feel like at this point of the season, um, unless some major, major trades occur, like, I don't know, the San Francisco Giants trade for Shohei Otani or something crazy occurs, like, I, I feel like it's going to be one of Arizona or L.A. to be the number one spot out of the West, um, the other one being a wild card. Um, I feel like the entire National League is just trying to play catch-up to Atlanta at this point. So I feel like Atlanta is just – they're just in another echelon at this point. I mean, I they sent, what, six or seven players to the All-Star game. Um, their catcher Murphy's lights out, Arcia, Strider, all these, like – pretty much their entire like roster is like homegrown names at this point. And it's absolutely ridiculous. And these guys are signed for like $3 million until like 2048 or something. Like, I don't know what they're cooking in Atlanta, man, but it's working, but yeah. And then, I mean, you look at the rest of the, like the wild card picture, for example, like Philadelphia sitting a half game back out of a wild card spot. So is Milwaukee, um, you know, either of them could flip flop with like Miami or San Francisco. Um, you look at the American League, you're looking kind of in a similar boat. Um, the Yankees are a game out of a wild card. Boston's a game out of a wild card. I mean, hell, even the Angels are only five games out of a wild card. So I feel like for the very top-heavy teams like Atlanta, Tampa Bay, uh, Texas, like I don't really see a lot of change going there unless something drastic occurs with them, like some season-ending injuries or them trading off some guys or – something like that. But I'm excited to see what the bottom half of those wild card pictures look like. Cause I feel like a lot of those teams are going to be really aggressive this season. You know, I feel like uh, in Arizona, you know, they need to get really aggressive, try to get some pitching um, that could really bolster them really well for the back half of the season. Um, you look at an Astros, you know, Astros find a way to call up their, you know, 97th prospect in the farm system and they're batting 300 within their first week. So Again, you never know. You never know. There's so many games left in the season. But, yeah, I mean, I would say for my predictions, you know, I'd say Atlanta out of the east, LA, um, LA or Arizona out of the west, the other being a wild card. And then I feel like Cincinnati, man, they're they're a fun team to watch, man. Cincinnati, Arizona, just fun, young teams. Um, Mike and I were talking about it earlier. Cincinnati has, like, two guys that are in the betting odds for rookie of the year. Like, that's absolutely insane to me. Um, and then on the AL, you know, I feel like everything's going to stay pretty status quo. Um, Cleveland's really the only question mark because that division is horrific. So I feel like 
it's a coin flip amongst anybody to really win it. So I'd say those are my predictions. And I'm sure we'll dive deeper into the rest of the playoffs later on. Without a doubt, you already know. But that's a fair and fine assessment, I would say. I I can't disagree with too much of what you're saying there. The Braves are absolutely killing it. Lights, baseball. I I think for the Diamondbacks, bringing it back home again, their goal should just be to make the playoffs, whether it's through the wild card or winning the division. Just stay aggressive, win as many games as you can, and put yourself in a position to be in that conversation. Because you're right, it is a very tight race right now. If you look at the wild card teams, it's like you said there, I think uh, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, San Francisco, the Diamondbacks, and the Marlins, and they're all separated by about a half a game. So it's really going to be a, a chippy, you know, battle and, and struggle there in the in the bottom, if you call it that. Uh, Mike, how do you what do you think about that assessment, and what would your expectations be for the second half? Yeah, I mean, I think three of these teams with their run differential basically plus one forty seven, which is crazy. Atlanta Braves doesn't surprise me that much, but the other two, the Texas Rangers and the Rays, like th- that's a little bit surprising. I mean, we were talking earlier too. Shane McClanahan is, uh, you know, one of the tied leaders for wins in the major leagues as well. So they have tapered off. I like what the Orioles have been able to do, pushing within two games behind, you know, their stud rookie Gunnar Henderson as well. But yeah, I mean, the AL Central is just who knows. I don't think anybody f- from there is really going to come out of the AL anyways. But when it comes down to the NL West and the three-team race that has, it has come down to now, it's really going to be consistency that comes through. And I think the one good thing that does come with the Diamondbacks is they're consistent bats. So you can rely on that, right? You might go down four or five runs, but you never really feel like you're completely out of it because we've seen them put up six runs an inning. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, they scored, I think, seven in the first. So they know how to hit. They know how to get on base and give themselves opportunities. But whoever is most consistent with pitching and just stays the course is going to take this division. But I'm not going to say my uh, prediction just yet for that. We'll, We'll save it. How about that? All right. That's fine. Yeah, save it. Save it. And, and yeah, as far as the AL goes, I don't know. I, I Like I mentioned previously, the, the Rays seem to be taking a little bit of a step back from their hot start, but they are still looking like a really good ball team. Uh, Baltimore is definitely a team to keep an eye on. Going into the All-Star break, they had five wins in a row, which isn't always easy to do uh, in the MLB. And so, Ian, I'll pass it over to you uh, if you want to speak from an AL perspective or even chime in on, on what you're thinking about for the NL. But what are your expectations for the Yankees and for the league here in the second half? Second half, I'd say for the Yankees, um, I think we're going to be, I think we're going to finish short of a wild card spot, um, which I almost want to happen because it'll make the uh, the Yankees self-reflect in the offseason and figure out if something needs to change, whether it be coaching or front office. Um, for the rest of the AL, um, I think even though Tampa Bay has slowed down. I think that they're still going to be the favorites to go the farthest. Um, Looking at the Orioles, I've been super impressed by them. Uh, Gunnar Henderson's been awesome. Adley Rushman's been awesome. Um, The Rangers have been a big surprise. However, um, it looks like they went out and got Araldis Chapman for their bullpen. So I'm not really sold that they're going to do anything in the playoffs. Um, National League, I, I really do like the way that the AL West is shaping up. That's going to be the fun division to watch. Uh, 
Ellie De La Cruz is awesome on the Reds. And then the Braves are the Braves. They're that's that's going to be the scary team for the next couple of years, I think. Yeah, I, I think that's a good assessment. And for the AL, uh, I'm looking at DraftKings Sportsbook. They have Tampa Bay as the favorite to win the American League with the Astros not too far behind. And again, chiming back to our March stream, we were kind of thinking the Astros would be the dominant team in the AL. Haven't quite come out as hot as we thought they would, but there's plenty of baseball left for them to continue their momentum and make an impact. But speaking of me looking at the DraftKings Sportsbook, I want to dive into our next topic, which is the yearly player awards and and the big three, really, Rookie of the Year, MVP, and Cy Young. Uh, Some Diamondbacks are in the running for that. Some Dodgers are in the running for that. I don't see any Yankees really uh, in the in the conversation for that, but uh, we can just talk about just the you know the league and the running in general. Uh, looking at Rookie of the Year first, Mike, you said it back in March. Corbin Carroll, Rookie of the Year in the NL right now. He's favored minus three hundred on DraftKings, and the field is plus two fifty. So and and also two fifty is Ellie De La Cruz. He's been absolutely killing it. I think he did. You guys see the other night uh, when he stole? I think three bases, two bases. Yeah. All four, yeah, it was insane. Like stole second, stole third, and then stole home. Like who steals home, Raymond? Who who steals home? I'm pretty sure it was in the same at bat too, wasn't it? Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was. God. Yeah, that's nuts. And I think there was two outs too. Ballsy, absolutely wild. But so Raymond, keeping it on you uh, for your money, uh, do you think Corbin Carroll? Do you think anyone's going to catch him as long as he stays healthy? That's the big thing. It's health. You know, in a 162-game season, all it takes is, you know, a 15-day IL stint, and next thing you know, your odds go from plus 300 to minus 300, you know, or vice versa. It's absolutely insane how quickly it changes, you know. We joked about uh, um, so many guys, you know, all it takes is an injury, and next thing you know, they're out of the league. So, yeah, no, I think uh, realistically, I think Corbin Carroll should run away with it. Um I think I think what helps is that Ellie De La Cruz came into the league a little bit later in the season, if I'm not mistaken. So Corbin at least has more games under his belt, which I'm sure that will be taken into consideration. But I mean, if you look at you know Corbin's stats, man, I mean, what is he at? Like 17, 18 homers, like plus 20 stolen bases. He's like at a nine, almost like a nine thirty OPS or something like that. Like just absolutely insane and. Um, I don't remember who said it earlier, but the D-backs, they just play like a really, really sexy brand of baseball. You know, extra base hits, RBIs, stealing bases, and Corbin Carroll's been, you know, chugging along, being the the catalyst for that. So I, I think I think my money's on Corbin Carroll, like, easily. Unless, again, 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 unless something drastic changes, but I'm knocking on every wood that I have in my house for that not to happen. Oh, yeah, me too, man. I mean, we all felt the pain in our chest when he went out with what looked like a torn rotator cuff the other night. He was gripping his shoulder, drooping it, uh, didn't come back into the game after that. So everyone, literally, I was on on Twitter and everyone was like, oh, there goes the Diamondback season. Oh, of course, this is a very Arizona sports thing to happen. And then he's in the lineup the next night. So wasn't wasn't too bad, thank, thank the Lord. But yeah, definitely player health, 100% big concern. But I love me some Corbin Carroll, man. Right now he has 18 home runs, batting average of 289 with 48 RBIs and 26 stolen bases. On pace to have over 50 stolen bases. I, I love what the D-backs do on the base path too, not to get sidetracked, but they are definitely aggressive when it comes to running. And they got a lot of guys with some pretty good speed. Uh, Mike, I know you love Corbin Carroll, man. And, and so 
I just want I want to give you the floor to talk about him and uh, maybe echo your echo some of Raymond's sentiments there. You know, I've always been one of those guys, especially as I get a little bit older. I find myself having a hard time buying a jersey of a kid who's at least ten years younger than me. But Corbin Carroll is starting to turn that for me, guys. Like I'm almost about to head to MLB.com and buy his jersey. I mean. This kid just does it in all facets, and it's incredible. His speed on the base pass translates to his defense in the outfield as well. I mean, he's made some incredible, uh, you know, web gems out there, and just he continues to get crucial hits at times to win games for this team as well. And that's what you love to see from an up-and-coming superstar. So. I got to echo the same thing that you guys said. As long as he stays healthy, I don't think you're going to be able to catch him, right? Because the other two guys right now in the betting odds right behind him are Ellie De La Cruz and Matt McClain, both from the Reds. But Ellie De La Cruz has played 30 games in the big leagues compared to Corbin, who's almost at 90. So, you know, he he still has some catching up to do, I think. He, he's a really exciting young player. But what Corbin Carroll has done for this franchise right now and putting them where they stand, he's got to be the front runner far, far away from anyone else right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and like I said, the DraftKings seems to know it. I was kind of chuckling today when I was doing some of my notes here. How it's Corbin Carroll or the field. Like, it seems like a foregone conclusion, like Raymond was saying. If, the, if he's healthy, he's just going to run away with it and get this award. And I could sit here and just say that over and over again all night with a smile on my face. But, Ian, I want to talk about the AL a little bit, too. Uh in, in the in the AL, it looks like right now it's a bit of a tighter race. Uh, Josh Jung is right now the favorite at plus 120 on DraftKings. Um, Yoshida is – Mike, did you, you had his name in front of you, right? What's his full name and his team he plays for? Masataka Yoshida. Boston and Red Sox. He is with the Red Sox. The yeah. Red Sox. Oh, wow. And the Red Sox not doing so hot at the bottom of the AL East there, but it doesn't matter. It's about the individual performance, not the team performance. Uh, and then Gunnar Henderson, he's an exciting player on a really good team in the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, Ian, out of those three guys, or, or maybe someone else, um, with it being such a tight race, who do you think is going to be the AL Rookie of the Year? Uh, maybe a hot take, but I actually think it's going to be Yoshida because dude's like pushing 30, and he's a rookie. <laughs> he's um he's he's got that going going for him like he's already in his his i would argue athletic prime where gunner henderson started off really hot is kind of slowing down he might might start picking it up again especially you know considering that he's going to be in a playoff race very soon i think that you know he's going to lock in a little bit but um yoshida reminds me a little bit of i get kind of the same vibes as when I used to watch Matsui as a kid and he was rookie of the year when he was like 30. <laughs> so that's, that's going to be, that's going to be my answer. I, I know it's not, I, I should say Henderson because that's the, that's the odds favorite, but I got to go with Yoshida. No, I like it. It's more wide open so it's for us to sit here and say Corbin Carroll out of the NL and, and chime on about that. But it's funny you mentioned that I, it's honestly a good pick. He's six years of his professional career in Japan. And as we've known and discussed, Jay's really good baseball. They just won the World Baseball Classic. Uh, Yoshida himself, he's been a part of the a Japanese Series Championship. He's a four-time MVP All-Star and a two-time Pacific League batting champion. So strong bat in Japan, bringing it over to the States. And 
I think you you know bring up a good point with his age experience there, where he might have the the four play a full season, like consistently not have any those rookie hiccups or downturns. I I know we talk about it a lot in basketball, and we see it more in basketball where guys that are coming out of college and other other areas aren't always necessarily ready to play the full eighty two game NBA season. Uh, but I know I think don't think that might necessarily translate to the MLB because there is the minor league system. I don't think they play 162 down there, um, but they're still playing a lot of baseball and and getting that experience. But I really like that pick a lot, Raymond. Do you like uh, Jung or Yoshida more? See, I kind of got a sweet spot for the Rangers since they got Corey Seager, so I've watched a handful of Ranger games. I'm that weird guy. Like, I'm that mid-20s that watches, you know, 162 baseball games a season. So, I don't know. I do I do like uh, Yoshida a lot uh, from what I've seen. Um, I think he – I think between him, Henderson, and John, like, again, it's all going to come down to who ends up being the most consistent throughout the rest of the season. But um, – for me personally, I'm 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 gonna go closer to to Josh Jung from Texas. I mean, all-star third baseman. He's on pace for like thirty something homers, uh, hundred something runs. Uh, he's already run rookie of the month, I think, in April and May. Leads the league in soft contact percentage. Like he's just fantastic. Um, but again, to everybody's point, like you know, we we went Corbin Carroll. Discussion done, and the American League, I don't think, is the same case. I think it's really going to come down to the final couple weeks. Um, I think, to Ian's point, I think Henderson has the ability to really just take it up a notch, you know, coming closer into the playoff race towards the end of the season. Um, I mean, Boston's only two off from a wild card slot, so same thing with Yoshida. I mean, that could be the very same case. So I'm, I'm really, really excited to see what the rookie of the year race looks like in the American League because – all three of those guys are super exciting to watch. Yeah, I, I like that it's close and it's tight and uh, it gives these guys something to fight for. Not that Ellie De La Cruz or any of those other guys don't have anything to fight for in the NL, but just adds in another, peppers in another layer to the competition and, and the fun of it all. Um, Ian, before I pass it over to Mike and we move on to the next uh, award here, I did see here on DraftKings that Anthony Volpe is like the fifth in the running. It's like plus 3,000, so not quite there. He came out of the gates, I think, pretty strong this season, but... Do you think he's going to pick it back up or you think he's kind of leveled off? He came out of the gate hot, um, slowed down really, really bad. I don't know if you know the chicken parm story. If you do, I'll, I'll spare you. You don't. I mean, um, okay. Um, so I think this is the reason the Yankees just fired their hitting coach, but basically he started slumping real bad. He started to bat like 180. The, the poor kid keeps getting compared to Derek Jeter. So obviously fans are ready to, you know, send out a lynch mob after him because he's not being Derek Jeter. He's hitting 180. Um, He obviously uh, is friends with the people he came up through the farm system with. There's a catcher in the, in double a named Austin Wells. They went to Anthony Volpe's mom's house together, had, a chicken parm date and watched old Yankee games where Anthony Volpe was not hitting. And Austin Wells went, there's something wrong with your batting stance, pointed something out. They got it fixed and he's back. He's right back on pace. Now he's his, his averages since that little chicken parm date are right back up. Um, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they are definitely very Googleable. 
Um, but your double A catcher cannot be, you know, correcting hitting mechanics when you have a hitting coach right there. But that's besides the point. That's the chicken parm story. Um, to answer your question, I don't think Anthony Volpe is going to be a dark horse to win rookie of the year because I think that slump was just a little bit too long, especially compared to Yoshida, Josh Young, everything like that. Raymond's got the numbers. What are the numbers, Raymond? So since the chicken par meal, he is batting 354 with a 417 OBP. He's slugging 600 with nine extra base hits and 13 runs. This is since June 13th. Dang. Not bad. I mean, hey, it sounds like that that guy Wells, if, if his uh, MLB career doesn't work out, he might have a future as a hitting coach. All I, things considered. I hope Chicken Parm is magical, man. <laughs> nothing, nothing more you can say. I, I love stories like that so much, but... Uh, I, I don't want to go too long because I know uh, we're, we're burning through this. We're almost 40 minutes into this stream already, guys, and we still got so much to get to. So let's get right into this next award, which is, of course, MVP. And we really don't have to spend too much time talking about the NL MVP race, do we, guys? Because, again, DraftKings has Shohei Otani at minus 800 and the field at plus 500. So I think it's a, at this point a foregone conclusion that Shohei Otani is going to be taking that title. Uh, Mike, would you say that's fair? Yeah, I mean, and the stats just back it up. I mean, he's hitting over 300, leads the league in home runs with 32, 71 RBIs, and he's a stud pitcher. 3.32 ERA, about 12 Ks per nine as well. So, I mean, it's a foregone conclusion. He's been a stud. We're going to be very, very interested to see what happens with him. And if he stays with Los Angeles, I think they have to make some kind of playoff push for them to retain him. But you know, we'll get there when we get there. But then looking at the NL MVP, you know, guys, I might be in the same pay, I may be in the same place with Ronald Acuna. I mean, for, uh, 41 stolen bases th- at this point through the year is just absurd. Uh, 47 extra base hits. He's hitting 331, and he's a superstar that has, is pacing the Atlanta Braves. So. I, I honestly think those front runners right now, if they just continue to play at their rates, it's going to be hard for anybody to catch them. Yeah, I agree. And good, good catch there. I did say Shohei would win the NL MVP. That is physically impossible because he is in the AL. But Raymond, uh, we are since we are talking about the NL now and not the AL, um, Acuna definitely does look like he's running away with it. Uh, he's on that strong Braves team. And the field is right now plus 230. But there are some other guys throwing their name in the hats like your one Mookie Betts. How do you feel about his odds to maybe catch up to Acuna and take that title from him? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Um, He, I think, if I'm not mistaken, at this point is pacing to have better career numbers this year than he did when he won the MVP back with the Red Sox. But Acuna is just on another level. Like, again, we talk about all these awards. It's all consistency and longevity and things like that. And... uh, Acuna would just have to go missing for like three months for Betts or Freeman or, I mean, I know, I know Corbin Carroll's name has been thrown in there for like, he's probably somewhere in the odds as well for MVP as well. And it's just like, I mean, Mike pointed out his stats, man. And I'm looking at his stats right now too. And I'm like, I'm like physically disgusted looking at his stats because they're just so good. Like 
there's not even one stat that you can look at and you're just like, oh yeah, you know, someone can catch up to that. Like even the stolen bases, I'm like, who's gonna catch up to that? I don't know. I think it's Acuna and Otani again. I think at this point you just name it the the Shohei American League MVP because I feel like he's gonna just be given the award until he retires. Um, but yeah, it's a it's Acuna unless again some of the drastic changes. But um, I mean, don't get me wrong. As a Dodger fan, I'm super excited to see you know Mookie. Um, there's been like these like weird ebbs and flows with Mookie's game since he came to the Dodgers where he'd go on these weird streaks. So it's just seeing like real good consistency. I think he, I think he's only missing like six or seven more runs. I think it's like within single digits to break the Dodger all time record for leadoff homers. And we're barely at the, at the all-star break. So like wow. he's just having a phenomenal year. So I'm going to give my credit to him, but it's got to be Okunia. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, that, that's always a tough situation, right? When you have a player that's putting up gr- good numbers, but then there's another guy putting up great numbers. Uh, bringing it back locally, it just reminds me of Steve Nash in 2007 when he had better stats than his 05 and 06 MVPs and then wasn't given the MVP in 2007. But we're talking about baseball here. So, Ian, I know we're kind of coming to you last on this topic, but uh, would you say it's pretty pretty much a safe bet that Otani out of the AL and Acuna in the NL? Yeah, Otani has no competition at all. It, like last year, it was, you know, a big debate, Judge or Otani. Judge ran through a wall and broke his foot. So there's no one competing with him at this point. And uh, NL, Acuna really is that dude. Um, I I do want to see that race get a little bit closer so that it's not such a giveaway. I do think Luis Arias is going to get a vote or two, especially since he's hitting 380, which is just absurd but um everything else like from every other statistic and every other standpoint it's still acuna yeah it has to be those numbers raymond that you were mentioning i didn't even have those in front of me that is wild i was sitting over here saying 25 stolen bases for carol was good or 24 or whatever it is but you said 40 something stolen bases for acuna that's that's wild uh so let's go and talk about this final award which is the cy young this one is a quite a bit of a closer race than some of these other awards. It looks like right now for the NL, Zach Gallen is still favorite at plus 200 on DraftKings. Uh, Spencer Strider right on his heels, plus 275. And uh, the Dodgers, Clayton Kershaw at plus 425. Mike, do you think Gallen can you know, tighten up his game a little bit, get back to where he was in April and May and, and get this Cy Young award? I think he has to if he really wants to solidify himself as the front runner. Um, he's got to come out, not saying that he has to win every outing, but, you know, he has to put his team in that position and continue with his strikeouts. I mean, 3.04 ERA, don't hate it. I think it could be a little bit lower for how successful he has been this year. Um, also about 9.5 Ks per nine with a 1.05 whip. And I mean, he got the nod to be the starter for the NL because of where the Diamondbacks have been. So I think he's in the right place. But, yeah, you know, these other guys are chipping at his uh, at his heels, especially Spencer Strider. And for for a 
Strider is pitching very well and on a very good team. He's got the bats behind him, which definitely helps, which I think helps Gallon a little bit too. Um, unfortunately, just the bullpen doesn't seem to want to help Gallon out too much. He might have had a few more wins under his belt had the bullpen not come in and choke that away. I don't have the stats in front of me to say how many times that happened, but I'm sure it's happened at least once. Um, Raymond, the third name I mentioned on there is Clayton Kershaw. He's about 10 years older than these other two guys we're talking about. And I think before the show we were talking, uh, you were mentioning that the Dodgers are kind of watching his innings count a little bit and not letting him go as deep into games. Do you think that's going to be a detriment to his potential to get the Cy Young Award or be in the conversation for it? Yeah, I think ultimately that'll be the the big crux for him this season. Um, I mean, if you look at his numbers, I mean, he's what, a, a 2.55 ERA, um, you know, 105 strikeouts in, in 95 uh, innings pitched. Like, I don't know what Gallon and the other guys are at in terms of innings pitched, but the biggest thing in, in Kershaw's, you know, 34, 35 year um, age, it's, you know, they got to watch it, you know, already a couple of times in the last few years, you know, he'll come out of a game and take himself out because, you know, he has some shoulder discomfort or, you know, the obliques start, you know, tighten up, tightening up on him. So, <clears throat> It's it's crazy to me that a guy like Kershaw can do this and at this point in his career still still be in the running for a Cy Young award. But I think ultimately at this point in Kershaw's career, his his biggest focus and I think the Dodgers too is let's make sure that he's ready to go come October because that's when it matters most. Um, I don't think another Cy Young really does much for Kershaw's career at this point. Would it help? Sure, but I think Kershaw at the, at the end of the day just wants to win championships and him him trying to you know blow his arm out in you know a game in pittsburgh in august isn't gonna do much for him at this point so i'd much rather see him have his innings cut hope the rest of the roster steps up i know we have some young guys like michael grove ryan pepio um we've had bobby miller come up a couple times um really the idea is that these guys kind of hold together and the offense continues to operate as well as they can and Kershaw comes in, you know, game one or two of the playoff game and, you know, does his vintage Kershaw. So, yeah, I mean, I'd love for him to still be in the running. Um, kind of to Ian's point, I hope that it's it continues to be a tight race. You know, I hate giveaway awards. Um, you know, I, I love Shohei as much as the next guy, but it's it to me personally, at least, it's getting kind of frustrating that he's just so far and beyond um, everybody else in the, in the field that, you, you talk about the AL award and you're like, why even put money on anybody else? Um, so I'd love for it to continue to be a tight race for sure. I think it will be. I mean, these guys and, and the pitching has been definitely tougher lately with as strong as the bats are. And we've talked about juice balls and whatnot. Uh, I think you're right, though. I mean, Clay Shaw, Clay Shaw, Clayton Kershaw is a three-time Cy Young winner already, and so his eyes should be on, on a championship and just staying healthy there, as should the Dodgers. And they're a smart enough team where I think that'll probably be the case. Uh, so, Ian, to wrap this up as far as awards go, looking at the AL Cy Young race, it is, again, a pretty tight one. Uh, Framber Valdez is the favorite right now. Then you got Kevin Gossman and Jarrett Cole. Garrett Cole or Jarrett Cole? Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole, that's your boy. So out of those three names, I know you'd like it to be Cole, but realistically, who who do you think would have the best shot? Um, Valdez has a really good shot. He'll have the wins to back it up. I think that that's going to be an issue with Cole. However, Cole, I think will I, – I should pull up their numbers before I start talking. But 
Um, Cole is going to have high strikeouts for sure. Um, Gosman, I think, is going to be. It's it's weird to call him a sleeper since he's currently second in odds, but uh, that dude can pitch. He he could throw back when he was on back when he was on Baltimore as well. He he's a guy to look out for. Um, I'm still going to go with Garrett Cole just because I'm a homer, but I do like the two guys in front of him as well. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I have uh, Garrett Cole on my fantasy team. Uh, so I did see there where he had a, a couple rough weeks, a couple rough starts that I think maybe pushed him back a little bit in this, this running and these odds, but there's no reason he can't, you know, come back into form. And he really has that upside potential. Like you said, he's a hard thrower who gets a lot of strikeouts and if the bats can back him up and he can get some wins, he'll be right up near the top of that conversation. And, and I mean, he already is, so he'll just remain up there and give himself even a better chance, but it'll be interesting. I, again, going to say it really excited about Corbin Carroll. I don't think I mentioned it yet, but it's a bit of a way it's out, but he is fourth favorite for the NL MVP. Um, a lot of guys in front of him, a lot of ground to make up. It would be very impressive to win rookie of the year and MVP in the same season. But I think right now, um, you know, similar to what Raymond's saying about Kershaw and the Dodgers, Carroll should just focus on helping the Diamondbacks win as many games as they can, staying healthy. And he's already got that rookie of the year in the bag. So don't try and do too much to where you become a detriment to yourself or the team. But speaking of that may be detrimental, moving on to this next topic, we discussed it in depth on our season preview live stream, and that is all the rule changes that have gone into effect this season. We mainly talked about the pitch clock, uh, the end of the shift, and the bigger bases were the big three we talked about. Uh, Mike, do you think that any of these have had a real big impact on the games from what you've seen this season? And how do you like what you've seen? You know what? I think that all of them have had a big impact on the game right now. And you could just kind of look at some of the stats that have come with it. You know, first and foremost, the time per game from three hours and four minutes is down to about two hours and 38 minutes now. And it, it hasn't changed really what we're seeing in regards to, you know, runs scored. We're actually up 9.14 per game compared to 8.66 last year. Now we're starting to see more hits on balls in play. You know, the players have started to adjust as well. It still seems like there's plenty of time for these pitchers with the time on the clock as well. And the stolen base is back. I mean, we could see with Ronald Acuna and Corbin Carroll as well. 1.8 attempts up from 1.4 last year as well. And I think the biggest thing, which has been the most successful thing for baseball is that attendance is going up and that's what we want, right? We want people out at the ballparks, especially in Arizona. I know it's really hard to get out there. It's so hot, but when you got a great product on the field, you got to go and see them. And it's just a little bit more palatable to say, I'm going to spend my time going to the ballpark for about two and a half hours comparative so if it goes to extra innings, could be three and a half, four hour game like we used to see. So I think it's all been a success so far. I'd have to agree with you. I think I was a little bit nervous on the onset that especially the pitch clock might change the game too much. And then the pitchers would really have a hard time adjusting to it. But I think they've done all these pitchers have done a really great job from what I've seen. And it doesn't seem to affect most guys too much. And even as we kind of were talking about on the preview, there's guys that'll kind of play with it too where they'll get set either super fast or they'll eat up the whole clock they know how to maneuver within that time frame 
But even more to your point, Mike, the the pace of the game has improved dramatically to where I think people, you know, especially newer age and younger people might not have the attention span to sit there for three, three and a half hours, especially if it's going into extra innings and you don't have a runner starting on second. I mean, when's the last time we saw a game go 12, 13, 14 innings? It seems like that just doesn't happen anymore. And it's it is kind of crazy. Like when I'm trying to, you know, out and about doing stuff, I like to keep tabs on my phone on the ESPN app of like what the scores are and what teams are doing. And I'll check and it'll be, you know, bottom of the second inning. And then I feel like 45 minutes goes by and it's already the seventh inning. And I'm like, holy cow, this, this game's moving quick. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's been great for the game. Honestly, I, I know there's a lot of old heads out there that don't like, you know, baseball changing that much. And so dramatically, but overall, I'm super excited about it and, and happy with what I've seen. Uh, Raymond, would you would you say the same, or, or how are you feeling about how these changes have impacted the game? No, I think um, for someone that has been a baseball fanatic for most of their life, you know, I played ball growing up, to see, to Mike's point, attendance up, right? I think the average right now, it's about 2,000 or so more on average per game in attendance. Um just to see baseball actually taking the time to find ways to make the game more interesting, more fun, more exciting. Um, it's, it's exciting. You know, I think um, I, I, I do recall a handful of players that were kind of impacted <clears throat> by the pitch clock. Um, I mean, even on the Dodgers, we had a couple guys like um, Alex Vesia. He was a big name for us. That was a phenomenal pitcher out of the bullpen that, was just absolutely shelled within the first like 30 days of the season, like absolutely shelled, could not figure it out, was constantly getting like pitch clock violations. Um, but yeah, no, I think, uh, I think it's huge. You know, stolen bases are up a ton. Um, batting averages are high again. Um, the game's just more exciting. Um, I, th- I think, I think it's going to take a while I, I think I might have made this point on our last um, group when when it comes to changes like this, it's going to take a while for it to really get honed in. Right. This is the first season they've done things like the pitch clock. And I don't know, maybe there's some wiggle room there. Maybe, you know, if, you know, I think the rule is like if there's a person on base, it's like an extra five seconds on the pitch clock. Well, if you have two runners on base, does that change? Is it still the same amount of time? Like. I think there's still some tweaking to be done in some capacity, but for there being what basically three or four major rule changes in a single season and it making such an impact right off the bat and it actually being for the benefit of the game, I'm incredibly happy about it. Absolutely. I am here for it. And one that I was reading about today, which I guess somehow slipped under the radar when we were talking about it previously was they implemented new rules around position players and and their pitching limits Ian, I don't know if you heard about this, but the MLB before the season tweaked the rules related to position players pitching to make them more restrictive. Previously, a position player could appear as a pitcher only in extra innings or if his team was trailing or winning by at least six runs. And now a position player can only enter as a pitcher if they are either if the game is in extra innings, if the team is trailing by at least eight runs at any point, or if the team is winning by at least 10 runs in the ninth inning. I guess uh, it went for in 2019, there were uh, 90 uh, uh, situations where a position player was pitching. And then last year it was 132, uh, position players appearing as pitching. Did, did you know about this? And then do you think that's a good idea for the league to have implemented that? 
I didn't know about it until you just said it, but um, that seems to me to be a smaller rule change than the ones that we've been talking about because normally a, a team is not going to put in a position player. I mean, unless they're Otani or IKF for some reason, um, they're typically not going to do that and, and, and throw away their chance at the game unless the game already basically has a decision before the ninth inning. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to have these dudes coming out and pitching and throwing 82 mile an hour meatballs down the middle unless they're down by that many runs. So I, I don't think that that's going to have too big of an impact on, on any kind of strategy going forward. I think it's just really locking down and setting in stone that this is not something that we're going to do going forward. And I didn't even realize it was like a problem or that it was even being talked about. And I guess from the limited reading I did on it today, I guess the idea is that teams would put in position players to pitch an inning or so to try and save their bullpen a little bit and give them some extra wiggle room there. And so it's like the MLB being like, no, you have to use your bullpen. It's it's like, okay, I, I guess I guess I can understand that from a, a competitive standpoint. But with all the restrictions that were already in there, it seems like it's already pretty similar, but just a little bit more restrictive. So all in all, I don't think it's had too much of an impact. We, Like you said, we really don't see that happen too much. Uh, I know Josh Rose pitched in three um, games this season already and, and not done too bad of a job. Uh, but Mike, hopefully my connection's not getting too bad here. But I want to throw it over to you and get your thoughts on on the that position players pitching. And also another new thing that I didn't know about that I, I guess was introduced last season, which is the pitch com, where instead of throwing signs in their crotch, the catcher just pushes a little button on his belt or the pitcher does. And that's how they communicate what pitch is going to be thrown. Do you, do you like those additions to the game? I think the pitch com is cool. That's a new one to me as well. I mean, so it, does it like when they tap it, how is it? going over to them like i guess i'm a little bit confused on how that works they have an earpiece yeah i think the catcher has an earpiece right and then the pitcher the pitcher is the one who's picking the pitches that's what no, they the catcher has like a bracelet like or like a wristband and it has like buttons on it so they click the buttons and it relays to the pitcher um but the cool thing that i saw about that too is that not only just the pitcher has a pitch com. I don't know if there's restrictions on how many players can have it, but um, I've seen other players have them too, like the second baseman or the shortstop as well. Yeah, I think that's cool. I, I think that's any way to be able to give you, you know, your pitcher and your catcher better communication. That's fine with me. Like as far as the out, you know, anybody else out in the field, would you say that might give a competitive advantage just because you know if it's going to be off speed, what you need to be expecting? But I feel like within situations, you've got to be expecting certain things anyways. So I don't think it would really change that much. But yeah, I mean, as far as position players pitching, there's plenty of guys who play in the majors. Call up some more relievers, give them those opportunities. And I know, like you guys were saying, it's more so if you're only losing by a whole bunch, but I don't need to see the meatballs give these other guys opportunities to pitch in the majors. So if that can allude to that, why not? That's kind of where I stand. 
Yeah, I'm with you there. I think there's definitely an argument to be made that it does increase the competitiveness or gives an advantage. I think the one big thing is that you would always see guys in their batting stance kind of peek down and try and kind of see what the sign is to get an idea of what's coming. But it's funny because there was an anecdote from earlier this season. I don't remember exactly which two teams it was, but I think one of them was the athletics just based off of attendance but there were so few people in the stands and such little noise being made by the fans that the the catcher had his his pitch calm earpiece turned up so loud that the batters could hear what pitch was being called and so they knew i think it was the texans they knew what pitch was coming every single time and they didn't exactly light them up it wasn't like when the angels put up 25 runs or whatever um but it wasn't pretty certainly so it's just little things like that i do like the addition of the pitch comp for sure but i think little things like that need to be need to be cleaned up and maybe oakland needs to be cleaned up and moved to uh las vegas but that's a whole nother conversation for another time uh, but overall, I like the changes that have been made um, from from the rules changes to the pitch com and the position players. And so it, it's it's been good for the game. And I'm curious to see what they continue to add and tweak going forward. And I'm sure we will cover that on future streams as well. But fellas, as we move right along through this, we have seen some new players join some new teams. And uh, Mike mentioned the trade deadline coming up. Uh, there August 1st so probably some more moves to be made I mean before the season even started Araldis Chapman uh, signed or was traded to the Kansas City Royals and he's already been moved he's got a new team he's down there um, with the tech I said Texans again with the Rangers the Texas Rangers uh, but but Raymond what's been your uh, favorite move so far what what guy do you think is adjusting best to his new team um I don't think I can queue it up right now you want to pass it on to somebody so I can on do the hot research? Seat. <laughs> yeah, Ian, Mike, if either of you are ready or, or I can go, it don't matter. Go for it, Ian. Um, Sander Bogarts is really the only one that's coming to mind right now. Um, I'd say he's fit into the shortstop spot in San Diego pretty well. Um, moving... Tatis over, which uh, I don't like that move because the part of Tatis I like the most was his highlight defensive plays. And I think that that's a little bit gone, but the leadership that uh, Bogart brings to, to San Diego, I think that that might be, that might be my pick, honestly. Yeah, not bad. I mean, obviously we've talked about the Padres not having, too much of an impact in their division, but Bogarts for sure. I think he's helping that team out a lot and will be a big reason why if they are able to come back and start winning games here in the second half, he's going to have a big role to play in that. Uh, so some guys, I, I'll just list off a couple, two, three here. Hopefully I don't steal any Raymond's looking at right now. So maybe I'll just go with one and, and circle back to it. But I really like what Nathan Avaldi's doing uh, with the Rangers. He's really stepped up with the Grom being injured right now. Ivaldi uh, made the all-star game and I think pitched the second or third inning for the AL and, and did a pretty decent job. And uh, I did actually, just while, while we're on the topic of the all-star game, it was really cool. I was watching it on and off while I was kind of cleaning up around my house. And they did something I think was new this year where they had the players mic'd up while they were playing the all-star game. And so Avaldi had an earpiece in when it was talking to the broadcast booth. And uh, the third batter he faced uh, for the final out was Corbin Carroll. And he was also mic'd up at the same time. So it had the batter and the pitcher 
being able to talk to each other while they're going up against each other. And I, I just thought that was super cool. But yeah, Nathan Navaldi, I really like um, what he's been able to do on his new team. He did. Uh, he was a free agent signing with the Texans. His last team was the the Boston Red Sox. Um, but really, really like what I'm seeing from him. Raymond, you got you got something for us? Yeah, uh, might might be a, a hot take, but uh, one of my favorite guys that one of my guys my team got uh, J.D. Martinez. Um, I've been incredibly, incredibly happy with him. Um, for some reason, I thought Miguel Rojas would be kind of like our hot signing for the season. Um, he spent a couple of days on IL, but the Dodgers, for whatever reason, even when the National League finally adopted the, the DH, they they use the role almost as like, let's give, I don't know, Will Smith an off day and let, let's have him bat or some other random person like that. And, and finally, the Dodgers made the decision. They're like, we're going to go get somebody that can actually be an everyday DH. And, you know, pun intended, J.D. Stutz, you know, walked to the plate and he was going, he's been going off all-star D.H., man. I've been super happy with him. Right on. Yeah, that's not a bad pick. I love me some J.D. Martinez. I wish he could have stayed here with the Diamondbacks long term, but he's doing his thing. He's still even in his 30s hitting these balls out of the park, being absolutely incredible. Mike, for for your money, who, who would you pick? I'm going to pull Raymond. I'm going to. Take the homer pick. I got to go Lord Escorial Jr. I mean, you talk about an impact in the outfield, which seems to be crowded with a lot of young names, but the way that he's been playing, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, hitting that big grand slam against the Angels, helping us get a little bit out of a slump and finally get a series win back under our belt. I mean, I've just been very impressed with what he's done for the squad as well. So, hey, I'll be a homer too. Why not? Let's do it. I like it. I like it. Of course, got to give honorable mention to Evan Longoria. He's not playing in a lot of games, but he has shown that he's not just here to be a veteran leader in Arizona. He is able to produce as well when he's out there still swinging the bat. Um, some other guys, though, that I wrote down here, um, somewhat, so one that I think a lot of people didn't remember is uh, Luis Arias. Arias? From the Twins to the Marlins, man, he's batting, like Ian said, 383 at the break. He was chasing 400 and some records there. But, man, <laughs> I'd take 383, man. That is incredible. And I think going back to talking about the All-Star game, he hit, he had two or three hits in that game. And you're talking about the best pitchers in the game. I know obviously not the highest stakes at the All-Star game, but still damn impressive, man. And the last name I mentioned and Raymond touched on earlier is Sean Murphy. Absolutely crushing it as catcher for the Braves. That was just an absolute steal for them. They got him from the athletics and another, another early trade that happened uh, the beginning of the year. And man, he's got to be happy to be out of Oakland and, and from the, from worst to first, as they say. So props to him and, and really happy for him. But at the end of the day, screw the Braves. Let's go D backs. <laughs> anyway, fellas, we're moving right here along here. I think Mike, you were excited to talk about this trade deadline coming up and some moves we might want to see made. Uh, again, we've said it, the trade deadline is August 1st. Ian, are there any trades you want to see the Yankees make, either guys coming in or you sending some of your players out? Mm, that's good. Uh, the Yankees are in a funny spot because on paper, their team should be so much better than they are when it comes to offense. Um, they, I know that they're currently looking at Cody Bellinger, but I have a feeling that if we do go get a player like Cody Bellinger, it's going to be more of the same. Like he's going, we're, we're just going to regress him 
mess with his mechanics, he's going to be batting 180 for us again. Just like Donaldson is, just like Rizzo is, just like Stanton is. It's there. There's there's something bigger than a team roster problem with the Yankees. Um, that's 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 kind of where I stand there. I will say the Diamondbacks. I do have some moves that I'm interested in with those. I'm looking at the White Sox because it looks like they might blow it up. Um. So I'm looking at guys like Lucas Giolito, Lance Lynn. I think that those guys would be perfect fits on that team. Um, but with the Yankees, they got to they they got to make a bigger move. It's an organizational move that they got to make. It's not a roster issue. Yeah, that 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 adds up to me. And I think a player health one is another huge aspect for the Yankees. You mentioned Aaron Judge kind of being the heart and soul of that team, and when he's not out there, they're just not finding much success. Uh, but Raymond, uh, on, on your side for the Dodgers or Diamondbacks or anyone, what, what moves are you looking forward to seeing? Yeah. I mean, the Dodgers just got to make, got to make some moves to really just solidify the pitching. I mean, that's really been their biggest thing. I mean, I'm looking at the list right now of the Dodgers pitchers on the IL currently. We got Kershaw, Pepio, Bueller, Syndergaard, May, Nelson, Hudson, Miller, Reyes, here. I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name and Trinan and so many more guys, man. And unfortunately, I just I don't see any guy that's currently available that necessarily takes us to a whole new level. Like um how do you say his name? Lucas Lucas what? G Giolito. Giolito. Yep. He's actually one that came up on my feed earlier today. And I was looking at some of his stuff and like he'd be nice, but my my concern is always like what's the price tag for a guy like that? Right. And I, I know, I know you talk about, you know, do you, do you bring a guy in today that can help you win today? Or do you hope that a guy from tomorrow can help you win tomorrow? And I know that's the big issue with baseball having like 67 different levels of major league baseball. But I mean, there's some like more, more lower guys, like, you know, a, a guy that I'd love to have back, you know, he pitched for the Dodgers for a few years is uh, <clears throat> rich Hill. You know, he played for the, he plays for the pirates right now. Like, I feel like he's somebody that's not going to cost you a lot, you know, maybe like a prospect or two or something like that. So I don't know. I just, I don't really see a good a, a move that's necessarily going to take us over the top. That's worth the price tag. You know, I feel like you run it back, you keep running it with the same team. You might, you know, get somebody of, you know, a C or B class caliber, but <clears throat> I don't necessarily think you need to swing for the fences to go after somebody crazy. I feel like, and I feel like the D backs are kind of in a similar boat. You know, if you can find that fourth or fifth starter, by all means. I mean, the D-backs, if I'm not mistaken, are what, top maybe 10 in farm system in baseball. You know, they have prospects. Same with the Dodgers. It's not like they have a shortage of them. Um, but, yeah, I feel like there's not necessarily anybody that's – at least from the names that I've heard, I haven't heard any names that are necessarily going to come in and be, you know, all-star caliber that are truly worth that price. You know what I mean? Uh, that's a great point. I mean, you bring up the injured list for the Dodgers and it's like, how much do you really need to sacrifice? And is it going to make you that much better when really all you need your, to do is get your players healthy? You might not necessarily need to add a piece, just add them by bringing them back from the injured list. Um, but for the Diamondbacks, Mike, we absolutely need some help, both in our starting rotation and in our bullpen. And and Raymond kind of highlights it there. There's going to be a lot of teams looking for pitching help at the at the 
deadline here. And I hope Diamondbacks are getting ahead of that. Like I said, I hope they're one of the first teams making calls and trying to make these moves happen. Because again, as Raymond highlighted, we do have a pretty robust farm system and some pieces I think we'd be willing to part ways with that might be able to attract some of these moves to be made. Uh, so I, I do have a couple names written down, but just in case I don't want to, you know, steamroll over you, Mike, who do you have your eye on for the, the D-backs to try and pick up here? Roll them out, Chris. Just roll them out. I have generalities, so tell the people what oh, you got. Excellent. The two big names that I really like on, on this list I have here, um, as, as we kind of said there, the Pirates uh, kind of have sputtered out a little bit and aren't quite looking like they're going to be buyers. So I think they're going to be more on the side of selling. You mentioned Rich Hill possibly being on the move. I don't necessarily know if that's a guy that D-backs need to pursue. But in the Pirates' bullpen, I'd like to see all-star David Bednar head our way he's absolute stud we could really use a solid closer a guy that we can rely on late in the game who's not going to choke it away not a guy that we just called up yesterday who's 22 years old who can throw 103 miles an hour with no control like justin martinez uh, but then on the starting side we absolutely need one preferably two pitchers to to come in ian you mentioned lance lynn i think that's a great idea i think that would be a guy to look at another one uh, marcus stroman from the from the Chicago Cubs, he has sporting a two two nine six ERA right now, one of the the top ERAs in the league. He's got some veteran experience, and I think that could be a guy that could help this team because we really our most of our pitching staff is pretty young. I mean, Zach Gallen being the veteran guy at twenty seven years old is kind of wild to me. And the the best thing about this is it's just been years. I mean, it seems like it's been a decade since the Diamondbacks have actually truly been buyers at the deadline, right? We were always the team that was shopping things away, right? And Mike Kazin has already came out and said, yeah, top of my list is the back-end relief and adding at least a starter, right? But the toughest part about it is the league is so close right now. There's only four teams that are basically seven games out of a playoff spot, so there's just not a lot of willing teams to give up key assets like a lot of teams that need pitching. You know, Chris said the Pirates, then you got the Cardinals, Nationals, and the Rockies. So it's kind of slim pickings, but at least they're focused on what they truly see as the issue because it's not the offense, right? Seventh uh, most runs in the league. So I know there was the talks about maybe Paul Goldschmidt, but I mean, what are you going to do with him there? Like, I don't want to bring him back and have him play first base. Christian Walker has been a stud for us and is a gold glove first baseman now. So unless you're going to play him at DH, I just don't see those kind of scenarios panning out. But back end help and a pitcher, a starting pitcher, that's what we want. So we'll see if it happens, man. Yeah, I like you brought up Goldschmidt there because I feel like that is a move to bring him back that we might have made if we weren't looking as competitive as we are now. You know, a guy that'll put some asses in the seats, sell some tickets because people love Goldie here. I mean, I'm wearing a you can't really tell, but this is a Goldschmidt shirt. Um, I think. Yeah. Paul Goldschmidt. See right there. Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah. So, you know, we love him here in Arizona. Absolutely would love to have him back, but it just doesn't really make sense for us right now. You mentioned Christian Walker doing his thing. He can hit the ball. He's not the best. Uh, fielder but at first base you really just gotta you know stretch out and catch those and get guys out on those bang bang plays and he's able to do that just fine uh, from what i've seen ian um i think i already asked you but for for to speak more on the diamondbacks a little bit out of anyone i've mentioned or what mike's talked about is there anyone else we're missing that the diamondbacks should be looking at um 
I'm glad you asked. The reason I point out the the White Sox and the fact that I think that they're going to blow up their team is because I think you, you can get both Giolito and Lynn if you're willing to give up one or two prospects, and those are two guys that would be awesome on the back end. However, I do think that there are two, there there are a couple pitchers on the tr- on the trade block that are not back end starter guys. They're not three, four, five starters. They're they're one, two starters. Two I just named in the in the chat there, Corbin Burns, who's having a down season, and he's on the Brewers, who I think that they're going to want to move on from him. Uh, that would be an awesome guy to get. I think Shane Bieber, who's having a, a better year, but is also on an expiring, so that's a good rental that you can get. I think that those two that, you know, those there, there's guys out there. Um, I, I, I think White Sox is the team to target as well. You might be able to get, I mean, it's 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 a Hail Mary kind of a trade that, you know, I, I think the GM should pick up the phone for Dylan C's. I don't think they're going to move on from him, but it's worth asking for sure, especially if they're going to be sellers of the trade deadline. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we'll take what we can get. I think there's a, a ton of guys that are going to, maybe not a ton, a handful of guys that are going to be available for the D-backs that will be at least serviceable enough to fill in that fifth spot in our rotation, maybe even the fourth and help us out. Because right now, like I said, that revolving door we've had, in in the fifth slot there in our rotation has just been a big detriment to us and we can't especially as the the division heats up and we start going down the home stretch here we can't get take a day off we can't just give up every fifth game due to pitching incompetence it's just not not in the cards for us and so i like what you said there mike mike hazen has said that he's going to be aggressive and i hope he stays true to that and uh really eager to see i mean we're like 17 18 so days about less than three weeks like you said away from the trade deadline and so moves are going to be have to moves are going to have to be made or heads are going to have to roll that's what i'm saying but ian you mentioned there i think some uh what do you call it a rental um where you know you get a guy that's on an expiring contract um we'll probably finish out this we'll obviously finish out the season for any team he gets traded to but it's a question mark where he's going to go next year the hot name out there right now and, and breaking this week is shohei otani might be on the trade market coming up here he's getting sick and tired of losing in los angeles he can only carry that team so far he's trying to do it all he's pitching and batting but it's just not able to get the rest of the team to catch up to his level and so he's really trying to put the team on his back but raymond do you think that the dodgers might try and work out a deal to trade for him or you know would they want because that's risky right because you you might have to sacrifice so much to get a guy that might not even resign with your team it's, it's a very tough situation because I think the biggest issue right now is nobody knows where he actually wants to play. You know, I, I take another example and not necessarily saying it's the same caliber, but I take an Anthony Davis trade, for example. Did he cost, quote unquote, an arm and a leg to get? Yes. He said, I want to play for the Lakers. You make that trade, you win a championship. You don't know what Shohei wants, right? Do you sacrifice you know seven of your top 100 prospects and draft picks and maybe a rotational guy or two for what three months of Shohei Otani right like it's it and, and then at the at the risk that he doesn't sign with you right like that's a huge ass you know we're not talking about somebody that 
you know, we're not talking about renting out Tim Anderson for three months and hope that he can kind of bolster your shortstop position. You know, we're talking about somebody that in theory would be your cornerstone franchise player. And I know baseball is weird where you have so many guys in your system that there's not necessarily a franchise guy, but Shohei is quite literally your franchise. You you bring that guy in, you are literally bringing an entire continent's worth of worth fans to your team. But is it just for three months? Is it for 10 years? Is it going to cost you half a billion dollars over the next 20 years? Like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tough ask. And don't get me wrong at the end of the day, if it wins you a championship, you do it 10 times out of 10, right? Like, I know this is the baseball podcast, but you know, you know, the, the Durant trade, right? If it wins you a championship, you do it 10 times out of 10, no matter what, you know? So it's, it's, it's tough. I, I personally would rather wait till free agency. I don't, I don't think, I don't think picking up Shohei in the middle of the season for really anybody. I mean, unless, unless he goes to like, I don't know, the Rangers or the Braves or something like that. Like not that they necessarily need it, but a, a team like the Dodgers that is so riddled with injuries and can get so much better with like um, to your point by just bringing back injured guys. I don't know if Shohei is the answer. I don't know if he's worth the price tag of what he'll cost today for the risk of, well, what if he actually wants to play in New York? What if he wants to be a Met? What if he wants to be a Yankee? Right? Well, the Dodgers just give up all this. Like the Dodgers saw this when we traded for Scherzer and uh, Trey Turner, we traded away Josiah Gray and he was an all-star this year and Max Scherzer left after the end of the season and Trey Turner, you know, one, two, three struck out last season in the in the playoffs against the Padres. And now he's gone, right? And we're left without Josiah Gray, um, Kyber Ruiz. I don't know who else is part of that trade. So it's risky. Um, but if I'm the Dodgers, I stay pat. I let somebody else take the bait and I put my name in the hat in, in offseason when he's a free agent. That seems like the safe move. I mean, it is it is definitely high risk. It could be high reward. Um, Ian, I'll ask you this question. It, do you think there is a team out there who would be willing to go all in for that three months of Shohei Otani with the hopes of winning a championship this year? Um, Trying to get in the head of all 30 GMs, there probably is a team that would make that trade. I wouldn't make that trade. I would not gut my entire farm system for two months of Shohei Otani. That seems insane to me especially if he's going to walk. I mean, he's he's going to test free agency. He's going to make a historic amount of money. There's just, there's no way around that. And it becomes, do you have deep enough pockets to extend them? And most teams don't. Like when, you know, you're looking at the usual suspects of teams that are going to shell out money for, for Otani. It's going to be Yankees, Red Sox, Cubs, if you're lucky, if they're lucky, um, I could see, I mean, I don't know, like Astros farm system seems completely endless. So they might have a piece that they can move and, and maybe they are right in that right, like little Goldilocks zone where he is the player that puts them over the edge. Um, so I could see that, but exactly what Raymond said. I mean, you're, you're gutting your farm system when you do that. And I, I don't think the amount that you have to give up is worth the short amount of time that he is going to be on your team because 
he's getting a bag uh, come winter time. Without a doubt, we've talked about that before. I mean, uh, your guys' teams, the Dodgers and the Yankees, being right at the top of that list for teams with payroll and the ability to possibly sign this guy in in the offseason. Um, I do, though, want to mention there was an article uh, written Fox Sports uh, Phoenix by Jody Aller, where he says the Diamondbacks need to go full Phoenix Suns and Matt Ishbia and just pull the trigger, throw the bag. And Ian's even mentioned that Shohei Otani would like to play for a small market team. I think Phoenix is a small enough market team. But Mike, is that is that even realistic for the Diamondbacks to try and make that move? We just got to take him to Old Town Scottsdale. He'll fall in love with us out here, right? Uh, you know what's the funniest thing about it is. This is a situation that really could help the Diamondbacks in every way of what they've been trying to figure out, right? You add another arm to your starting rotation. You add an everyday DH who just has unlimited power, it seems like, and you just propel that offense even more to where it is. But like you guys have said, it would come at the expense of just gutting the farm system. You wouldn't have Drew Jones. You wouldn't have Jordan Lawler. You're probably looking at losing some of our outfield depth already. You're not going to lose a Corbin Carroll. They're not going to be that dumb like that. But you could see Jake McCarthy go, Lord Escorial Jr. And the Diamondbacks have just shown us that Either than Zach Granke, they're not going to go out and pay a half a billion dollar contract. They just don't have that kind of money. They have to make it work within their means. And as much as it would just be incredible, Matt Ishbia is on a different level with his unlimited cash, it seems like. And that's just not what the Diamondbacks have. So it's a pipe dream. It's it's. I can put my head on the pillow at night thinking that maybe it would happen. But at the end of the day... It's just not the right move. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. It's fun. It is fun to dream about. It is fun to hypothesize or theorize about whatever the right word is for that. Uh, but absolutely, I, I think it would definitely answer all of our problems. But without any guarantee of him staying here past this season, it's just impossible to to try and make the decision to pull the trigger and, and gut your farm system. I mean. Raymond, would you say for the Diamondbacks, that's probably safe to say? Yeah, but I mean, I think, you know, not to feed into the pipe dream necessarily, but I feel like if any team would make sense, I, you know, a D-backs, if you start to kind of peel the layers a little bit, it, it could almost work in theory when you think about how young that team is already, right? You look at a team like the Dodgers, right? Like if we got our entire outfield depth, well, Mookie Betts is already like, what, 31, 32, 33, whatever how old he is. If we get rid of a bunch of our pitchers, right, Kershaw's already 34, 35. Like, we're on the older side of a team. So it's like a team like the Dodgers gets hurt a lot more by gutting the farm system than a team with the D-backs gutting their farm system because they're already such a young team. They have guys like Corbin Carroll for at least another four or five years. Um some of the other players they have a lot of control with and realistically the farm systems for most teams are just so much deeper than you know mlb.com like pipeline can even imagine you know bleacher report i think earlier today said that the angels have like the 29th worst farm system in baseball and it's like who cares you have shohei otani you know trade him away and it'll jump up to number one probably so 
bullpen or farm systems are very finicky. I think, uh, yeah, it's a pipe dream, but Arizona, I don't know. Arizona would make a lot of sense to me, I guess. I like what I'm hearing, Raymond. I like what you're saying. I think, you know, it does. It does. Like on paper, again, it does kind of make sense. We do have a lot of intriguing prospects. I mean, we can give them Brandon Fott. I'd be okay with that. They can have him uh, if we get Shohei Otani back in return. But we'll have to see, man. In three weeks, we'll either be super stoked and nervous or we'll just be moving on with our lives without Shohei Otani. I, I honestly think it's probably 50-50 whether he gets traded or not. Because I, I, like we've been saying here, I think it's going to take a lot of balls for a team to pull the trigger on that type of move without a guarantee. And if I don't even know if they're allowed to, if that's like tampering or I don't know what the rules are in the MLB, but I don't know if his agent or he could come out and say like, yeah, we get traded to New York, they sign there. I don't think that's allowed necessarily, but I don't know. And this has been incredible. We're at about an hour and a half here. I was wondering just how long we'd be able to stretch out talking about baseball. But with you guys, it's always easy, always a good time. Uh, but I think it's about time we get to wrapping up. So, Ian, I want to give you the floor first so you can share with us any final thoughts you have here at the midseason break and uh, what what anything you want to talk about, either upcoming or current. Uh, I'm just bored this week. I, <laughs> I'm excited for baseball to come back or, you know, Anything that just isn't summer league basketball. That's all I got. Yeah, it's that it's that time of year where uh, there aren't too many sports going on. I think uh, I think the day after the MLB All Star break is typically the the day of the year when there's no none of the main professional sports are playing. Um, and I think that's honestly been the last two days, yesterday and today, because summer league doesn't count. That's not really professional basketball playing and obviously NHL, NFL and NBA are all in their off seasons right now. But yeah, man, these are, these are the dog days for, for both the MLB and for the, just the sports fan in general, but we're so close. We got games coming back tomorrow and then uh, games every day after that until, until about October. Um, but Raymond, your turn, brother. I want to give you the floor, share with us your last thoughts on uh, the MLB season present and ongoing. Yeah, dude, I'm incredibly excited. I think uh, with this season, them um, having everybody play everybody in baseball, that's been one of the most exciting things ever. Um, I know the Dodgers are playing the Yankees. I believe at the end of this month, I'm super looking forward to that series. Um, I think the Red Sox are coming into town here to Arizona, um, what, August, maybe July, August, something like that. So, yeah, I mean, that's probably been the most fun part of the season, but to Ian's point, man, the other day I was watching like the, I think it was like the American Cornhole League or something like that. And yeah, I, I need sports back, man. I'm losing it. <laughs> so I, I just can't, I can't wait for it to be back. American Cornhole. I'm sure uh, VSP Tallman's been betting on some interesting sports, maybe Wimbledon or whatever else the hell is uh, is going on. But Mike, uh, your turn, bro. I want to give you the, the floor last here so you can uh, get Anything off your chest that you uh, you might might need to say to the, the people? Yeah, just excited to get back into it. You know, excited for September. We'll be in Pittsburgh, actually attending a Pirates versus Yankees game. That'll be exciting. Excited for next year as well, as the Yankees will be in town for the first week of April. So, Ian, make sure that's on your calendars as well. We'll be going to one of those games. 
and just hopeful that this team is playing baseball after October 3rd. So excited to see where things shake out. Absolutely. I want to see the Diamondbacks continuing to play hard, continue to battle with the Dodgers and hopefully beat them out for the division, make them the wild card. Why do we have to be the wild card? But anybody, anybody's uh, anybody's game right now. Mike, I like what you said there. We are going to be heading out to Pittsburgh there in September. Very excited to see PNC Park. Uh, very excited to see Ian like a like a little kid in a candy shop watching his Yankees play. Hopefully they uh, got Aaron Judge back and he doesn't have to get surgery. Uh, but of course, here at Valley Sports Plug, we will be keeping you updated on everything Diamondbacks related with our bi-weekly recaps. We have one coming out next Wednesday, so make sure you follow us here on YouTube. You can also keep up with us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at AZ underscore VSP and Facebook. Just search Valley Sports Plug Arizona and you'll find us right there. But thank you to our special guests this evening, Ian and Raymond. Always a pleasure. And of course, my co-host, Mr. Michael Benjamin. I am Chris Patrick. Thank you for watching. We'll see you next time. Peace. So guys.